0: Dear fellow redeemed, we consider especially our gospel lesson from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter eighteen, and we'll talk a little bit about what Ezekiel has to say too. And as we begin, I'd like to begin with a concept that you are no doubt familiar with, at least from seeing advertising throughout most of your life. And if you happen to work in sales or have done any work in sales ever. Um, you probably have like an inside inside track for knowing how this works. It's something called a, a value statement or a value proposition. And so when Integrity Exteriors knocks on your door for the fifth time in the last four years, like they do in our neighborhood, and they say, oh, don't worry, we're just here helping your neighbor out, and they got a great deal, I want to save this same deal for you, we're going to spruce up your, your roof and your siding and your windows. And if you act today, we can save you as much as 20 or 30%. And you hear it right there. You hear it right there that, that this, um, that's, y- this young college student who's walking around door to door, they've been trained in what to say. That the value that integrity exteriors provides and the value they provide right now is not just the exterior of your house. But it's also that you will save this money today. It's that proposal, what they are proposing to you. Here is what you will get if you sign on the dotted line, if you use our product. A value proposition usually has um, a couple of different avenues that they might take. Sometimes it's the, the monetary, that if you use this, if you buy that stock or mutual fund, if you make the switch today, then you will save, you name it, 10 grand over the next 30 years. Then your returns will be 30% instead of 3%. A proposition of profit. That's what we'll call it. Second way is that it adds value to your life in some way. That when you buy this particular car, you're not just the average person, but you can surprise your wife with this car and a gigantic bow on the front driveway on Christmas Eve, and you say, wow, my life is now complete. I have the the nice new car smell, and I've now surprised my wife with a $40,000 purchase. Fantastic. But in some way, they're saying this adds value to your life. For all the time that you spend driving your car, maybe this is safer. Maybe this is better for the kids. Maybe this is more reliable a value proposition. Or I guess the the third avenue, if we're talking about profit, we're talking about um, the value that it adds to your life. Or the third um, avenue, I suppose, would be education or entertainment. And those get lumped together, education and entertainment. That if you spend your time listening to this podcast or you spend your time watching that documentary. Then it will be enjoyable, even if you you never previously cared about the puffins of Iceland until Sir David Attenborough narrated it for you. Afterward, you're like, wow, I just spent an hour and a half learning about puffins, and now they're the most cool little bird. Maybe not. It's that proposition, a proposal, that this will add to your life, not by making your life better, but by providing some education or entertainment. And that is like the whole realm of um, programming that we see on television, or as we're scrolling our phones on social media or similar, that we know that it isn't inherently adding value to our life. It isn't inherently improving our life, but we enjoy the entertainment, and we enjoy the educational aspect of it. So with those three options, profit and improving my life, and education entertainment. When we're talking about church, when we're talking about your Sunday morning, an hour a week for every week of the year or close to it, and for every year of your life, let's take a few moments with those seated nearby to think of what is it that this, this place, these people, this setting adds to your life. We could probably um, leave one off the table that you aren't here because it is profitable to you. You aren't here that, you know, at the end of the day you're going to go home with a a contract signed on the dotted line or um, another check coming to your bank account. So we'll leave that one off the table. That leaves two options and a whole host of ideas underneath either of those two options. The option of letter A. This adds some sort of value to my life or letter B, and it could be both, that this is educational or it's entertaining. And this is like the crowd participation part. I won't call on anybody, but I'll give you about um, about a minute to try to think of something either in that first category, what is it that my church life adds to my life? Or what is it that is educational that I enjoy, entertaining that I enjoy about my church life. I'll stop talking now so you can. Hopefully I gave you a little bit of time to think of at least one or maybe two. And when you think about this, um, thinking about you know what is the value that this adds to my life or what is the educational or entertainment value of it, um, you can probably think of a couple of things that, well, first of all, there has to be something different about here and Sunday morning and worship together. There has to be something different here that I don't get um, just on my own with with the Bible. Because if that's what it was, if that's what it were, then you and I could say, "Well, I am getting just as much value sitting at home reading my Bible with my coffee on Sunday mornings as I am by getting dressed up for church, remembering it's at ten fifteen, and then staying after for a potluck." There has to be something different about this. I propose. I suppose. So we understand that that at the first point that this setting is inherently different from what we, you might experience on your own and what you might have at home um, even with those that you love and who share your household with you. And then beyond that, I won't call on anybody, but I'll name a few things that were probably um, included in your, your conversation. Maybe it is <laughs> little children knowing that they have to come with mom and dad and they don't have a choice in the matter. And then the little children learning at some point, well, that's where we get to hear God's word. Maybe you think about um, the, the people that you see here, the people that you have known for a long time, and it, not just that you know them by name and face, but, but that that you know them by sharing in their sorrow and sharing with their joy. Maybe a little bit later in life, you're starting to think about, well, I see a finish line. I don't know exactly when it's going to come, but I'm somewhere over the hill, and um, And I really, really appreciate in a new way all those hymns that I found boring as a kid. And now when we sing them, it just hits a little differently. A little bit of life experience often does that to us. Maybe you're thinking and looking ahead to to the eventual victory lap and God taking you to heaven. And knowing that not only for your own sake, but for the sake of your loved ones, to be able to say that yes, this person sat in this spot um, every day for as or every Sunday for as long as they were here—I still think of that. Maybe you think of um, if you, maybe you're thinking about the value that it adds to your life. And you've begun to see some of your friends who are kind of foundering and floundering, trying to figure out where they fit in life and what's the next move that they should take. And and all they have to go on is is their emotions and the opinions of their friends, and it just doesn't look like enough. And so you kind of value the, the educational side and the guidance to say, well, here is a good and godly action, and here is a good and godly decision. And even if, even if it is a little bit challenging or a little bit difficult to, to understand what God has to say and then apply that in my life, I know from experience and from the school of hard knocks, or at least from the hard knocks in my friends' lives, that this is the better option. You could keep going. Maybe you think of um, wanting to, to have some good friends for your kids. Maybe it's something as simple as just having a place where you have a community of people in a largely suburban and urban area where you might know your neighbor, might be on a first-name basis with them, but usually that's about it. To have a community of people from all walks of life where we aren't segregated into different age groups, where you can sit next to one another and have somebody who has 70 or 80 years of experience in the Christian faith in the same church body and worshiping in the same worship service as somebody who has only three years and um, six and a half months. And uh, I'm sure there are more. I think the one that we often downplay and forget about is that sense of Christian community and the sense of Christian not only values but, and morals, which are all in the background, but the sense of Christian ethics, which is how do we apply those values and morals in our lives. And having a basic language where we can talk about these things. And we have a basic understanding where your friendship and our fellowship together doesn't depend on trying to figure out where we all stand on all the sensitive topics, but understanding that even if we have some differences of opinion or we have differences in experience or differences in background, at the same time, we are united through this same Jesus. That's why I like the, uh, the imagery of our church layout as, as it is. You walk in and we are all baptized in the same baptism. That that is your entrance into the sanctuary, the, the holy place of God. That we all gather around the same table, under the blood of the same cross, remembering the resurrection of that same Jesus. And gathered around this table, we have fellowship through that table. That it is a... Um, the word fellowship doesn't really capture it. It's more of a, a, a having in common. We have this table in common, and because of that, when you look across the table, you aren't just seeing somebody that you sit with, but somebody with whom you are united in Christ as a brother or sister in Christ. But then that takes us to our readings today, and, and I will admit that that opening question of a value statement or a value proposition... Um, it got us started. Because if you were to compare what church has to offer versus other things, I'm sure you could find something that would fill most of those niches in your life. Or niches, if you're American. (laughs) Most of those niches, most most of those um, blessings that a church family has to offer can be filled in, in other ways. And maybe it's two or three things cobbled together, but you can cover it. And that idea of a value proposition or a value statement. What is it that I get here? I know it's not profit. Maybe there is some value for my life. Maybe there is some education and entertainment. Is that really the right question to start with? That we call it a sanctuary. And that's not just some old church word like We have enough words that are old church words. Sanctuary isn't just some old church word, but it refers to a holy place. And that if Christianity were simply a set of value propositions over the last 2,000 years or 4,000 years, then you can look at church history and it makes sense. Why the gospel moves from one place to another. Why people maybe valued it for a time for what it gave to them but then the wheels, and the, the wheels of time turn and the sands run through the hourglass and the gospel moves on to somewhere else. If it were simply about the value it adds to your life and the educational entertainment, and we've got enough education going on, so that's in the announcements, if it were simply about the education, the entertainment, and the value it adds to your life, we would be missing the point because we gather in a sanctuary, because God says to Ezekiel, son of man, call out to these people, and if you don't, their blood is on your head. Whew. That's not really a value statement, God. If you want me to follow you, that's not what I was expecting. Um, either speak up or <laughs> or you bear the pain that is theirs. The value statement also isn't there in Matthew chapter 18 where Jesus says um, about warning your brother about the error of his ways. Take along one or two others if he doesn't listen to you personally, individually, and if not then, then tell it to the church, and then if not then, um, whatever I tell you. You bind on earth, will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Wow. And what he's saying there gets to that same exact idea that the value Jesus adds to your life isn't just the fact that it yields better blood numbers when you go for your checkup. That's, you know, they've done the research, that's part and parcel of um, participating in a religion and having a community of people. It's not just that you, on average, will now live six to ten years longer than the average American because you are participating in a spiritual faith community. That the value that this Jesus adds to his life is predicated on the idea of this sanctuary. That, at the end of the day, it's not really about the value that that the church or the pastor's preaching has for you. It's about the fact that this Jesus died for you. It's about the fact that this Jesus has promised an eternity to you through him. And you know as well as I that it's not just this, this mental conception that if you, can, if you can say the words and you can put into your own words exactly the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as we have in the Apostles' Creed, that faith isn't simply a knowledge of the facts, I mean, Satan himself knows the knowledge. He was there on Good Friday. He saw it firsthand. And is he saved? Absolutely not. But that faith is practiced. That faith recognizes its own frailty and says, you know what? It's not the strength of my faith that matters. It's the strength of my Jesus that does. And the fact that this Jesus promises to speak through words that strike your eardrum that this Jesus promises to convey all of His love, all of His forgiveness, all of His grace into your life through the waters of holy baptism, and the water drips off the head or the foot, and um, and that child has the promise of life eternal with Jesus, and that we gather together around the Lord's table, and it's not just that we have a common union together in holy communion. But it's that, that this Jesus now distributes to each one his own body and, and blood, together with the bread and the wine. That the value that, that Jesus gives to you in his church and in your church life here and in the worship that we share isn't, isn't based on the value that it adds to your life now or simple um, educational entertainment rather the reality that he actually works through these things in a way that is often beyond your perception. But he works through these things to strengthen the faith that, that he has given to you, a faith that is often, yes, beyond our own perception and beyond our own sight, which also means that we can't judge the strength of our faith based on how we feel about it. But we can only judge the strength of our faith on the basis of our connection to Christ. You start to see the difference. That if I were going door to door and saying, hey, we're just in the neighborhood, we've been in your neighborhood for 40 years or 140 years, and your neighbors are going to church, and boy, oh boy, I'm going to get you um, a community of people who care about you. I'm going to get you a place where you can be married and buried. I'm going to get you a place where you can have pastor on, on text message and you can ask him a question and he'll get back to you. I'm going to get you a place where the pastor knows your name. I'm going to get you a place where you have a community of people and we're even, even going to work together on like a community garden and, uh, and maybe do something more after that. Who knows what's next? If that's the value proposition, maybe that's not such a bad idea, I guess. Going door to door and saying, here's what our church has to offer. But how much more? To say, here's what our church has to offer, a holy God who has given you his righteousness. Here's what our church has to offer, comfort in the time of distress and grief. Here's what our church has to offer, certainty about where you stand with God on the basis of his unchanging word so that you don't f- build a foundation upon your own fickle emotions, but rather on the clear word of God. Here's what our church has to offer, A Jesus who raised himself from the dead so that you can be certain that your sin has been forgiven and that life with him forever is yours. Here's what our church has to offer, not just a regurgitation of the facts that we all know, but the living, breathing embodiment of Christ himself, where Jesus dwells here, invisibly, but here whenever two or three or 82 or 83 are gathered together in his name. And that Jesus has brought you here and made you his own through holy baptism. That Jesus has given you, yes, a family of believers who uh, want to care about you, who should care about you, and who are as much your brother and sister, maybe even closer than your own siblings. Because here is something that goes beyond this life And it's not just a simple statement of, well, I hope I get this value out of it. But the actual giving of Christ's righteousness to you. So there's no doubt. And there's no certainty. And there's no reason to say, well, I did it and I'm moving on now. And there's no reason to say, well, I know the facts and now I'm just going to kick back, take it easy and review the facts every now and then. Because that's not how faith practices itself. Faith understands that in my actions, I am not holy, but I am one, I am connected to one who is. Faith understands that we gather together in this holy place where God himself makes himself present, where the Son of God has promised to be with you and me together to convict your heart through your conscience and also to comfort you through his word, where he has promised to be here among his people in a sanctuary, a holy place. So at the end of the day, I mean, obviously, we don't discount all of the the blessings that you maybe talked about with those seated nearby. And we use some of those in some of our advertising because at some point you have to get into somebody's head and be able to have a conversation with them about this Jesus. Jesus. It doesn't always start with, dear friend, you're going to die and I want you to be in heaven. Sometimes it starts with, you just had a loss in your family and now you're wondering where you fit and let me bring you along to a place where you will have a church home. Sometimes that's how it starts. But let's not judge our church life on the balance, on the scales in comparison to all the things that we might get here versus the two or three other activities that would be equivalent of value. Because the value that Jesus gives here isn't something you can measure and quantify. The value that you, can, that you do get here is the promise and the certainty of the Son of God that his blood is for you, that his righteousness is for you, that he's made you his own and brought you into His holy place. Amen.